This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Everybody likes to score. When you're used to scoring, when you don't, it gets a little uncomfortable and you start taking shortcuts to you know, thinking you can give yourself a better opportunity to score. The only way you can do it is really work your way out of it. And then eventually pucks that normally might not go in will start going in for you. And it's a cycle of hockey. Right now we're in a little bit of a cold streak and for most of the year we're on a hot streak. And so at some point it'll will turn around for us. Uh, but we have to work our way out. We, uh, we can't shortcut our way out. Well, we're having a little technical difficulties here as our connection with uh, Greg and Dave uh, just dropped. Uh, this is Lightning Power Play. I'm Steve Versnick. Uh, Greg Linelli and Dave Mishkin will be with us as soon as the internet uh, decides to cooperate with us. As, uh, as we all work from home still in this uh, social distancing area, we don't go to a studio. We actually work from our house. So it is game day. The Lightning will face the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight at 7 o'clock. Our pregame will start at 6 o'clock with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios with the pregame skate. Greg Linelli will have the, the pregame show at, 12, at 6.30 this evening. Uh, you'll hear from John Cooper, you'll hear from Brian Burns, Kaylee Chelios, and so much more. Dave Michigan and Bobby the Chief Taylor will have the call tonight at 7 o'clock. And of course, after the game, after the post-game show, Greg Linelli and Brian Engblom will have uh, the last call presented by Jack Daniels right here on Lightning Power Play. So, uh, full game day of action here. The internet does not seem to still be cooperating with me, so I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll just continue to fill. So uh, some news coming out of Columbus. Uh, the Lightning are uh, on the ice for morning skate. We're waiting on the uh, the media availability today. But uh, Columbus got some news today. Riley Nash, who was hurt in the game on, uh, I believe, Sunday against the Panthers, he is going to be out four to six weeks for the Blue Jackets. So that pretty much takes him to the end of the season at this point uh, as far as his injury. And he's a pending uh, unrestricted free agent. So, um that's you know less options for them to trade at the trade deadline if they wanted to make some moves that way. So um, Riley Nash looks like he will not be able to be traded on Monday at the trade deadline. So I think I've got Greg and Dave back with us. Is that correct? I think the well, hamster continues to. Uh, I'm back. He's back running, Steve. Exquisite timing, running. right, Steve? Exactly. It always works out that way. It always because we were on. We were all on at eleven fifty nine fifty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes <laughs> when technology works, Dave and Steve, it's a great thing. When it doesn't, sometimes you just have to improvise a bit. It's the world we live in today. But, Steve, thank you, buddy, for jumping on there. And you just heard Steve Ersnick. I am Greg Linelli, along with Dave Mishkin. This is Power Lunch, even though we get uh, a couple of minutes later. Dave was not running to get some lunch before uh, no. the show began either. I just I. wanted Steve to, to stay awake and make sure he was on his toes. Well, we always know Steve is on his toes. He has to be because he's uh, he's our executive producer. And uh, we're glad you're with us here. We have Joe Smith coming up a little later on in the program from The Athletic. We'll get his thoughts on Tampa Bay's recent play of late. Does he think the lighting will be somewhat active at the trade deadline? We'll give you some thoughts Regarding that as well, Tampa Bay, of course, gets to take on Columbus tonight on the road. And Dave, you know, you you get into these situations where it feels like we come on every day and say it's a pretty big game. It's a pretty big game and not so much for Tampa Bay, although you want to see them start getting back to playing the way we saw before when things were, you know, really clicking for them. But, you know, I don't know if Columbus is going to make the playoffs, but, you know, it would probably behoove them to start stringing some wins together because they have a an uphill climb here. And we don't know what type of team Columbus is going to put on the ice tonight, but we do know 40 games in. I think you are what you are at this point. Well, we don't seem to be having any luck this uh, today with uh, our internet connection. Uh, they just dropped again, as you hear. So Again, Steve Versnick, uh, this is Lightning Power Lunch and Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli, Dave Michigan will be with us momentarily to break down tonight's Blue Jackets Lightning game. Lightning, of course, losing four of six games heading into this game. They've also uh, failed to score more than three goals in seven straight games now. And as you heard John Cooper in the open say, uh, there's no shortcuts to work your way out of this. You just gotta you gotta work and fight and 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 keep doing what you need to do to score goals. It's there's no shortcuts out of this. It's uh, they're in a slump. They're uh, uh, struggling a little bit offensively, but uh, you know, obviously, John Cooper's hopeful this will come around. I think Greg's back with us now. I'm with you. I'm with you, Steve. Boy, I, I think, I think the hamsters just having some problems, and that happens. But we'll get Dave here 
uh, in just a little bit. I don't know where you were picking off, Steve, but uh, I was telling Dave, I think what's going to be interesting tonight is what type of Columbus team are we going to see? Mm -hmm. 40 games in, you basically are what you are, and I think what makes this an interesting matchup tonight is that I I don't know what team we're going to see if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning from the Columbus Blue Jackets. If it's the team we saw... Uh, during the recent homestand, it, it's going to be a dogfight. But then there have been some games where Columbus has absolutely laid an egg. They have. And, and you just kind of wonder, you know, you look at the, where they're at in the standings and what, they're in seventh place. They've played more games than everyone else, which means they have less points they can possibly get through the remaining of the season. So you just kind of – now, you know, Riley Nash is out for pretty much the rest of the season. You wonder what kind of effort you're going to get knowing right. that – the trade deadline's Monday, and they could start to trade off some of these pieces too, if they feel like if if management feels like they don't have a shot this year. Yep, and you know the one position as we bring back Dave Mishkin into this conversation, and you know we're talking about Columbus and an interesting team, Dave, that we were saying because, as I was saying before, you drop forty games in, regardless if it's a fifty-six game schedule or an eighty-two game schedule. I think you have an idea of what your team is. You you have a pretty good understanding of what you are at this point. I think Columbus is a pretty average team and, you know, whether they're performing below expectations or not, I think that's what they are. And one of the things we kept hearing about this team, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they were still, you know, there was still more of the season left to be played was that they could be a team that deals one of their goaltenders. And we've talked about the goaltending position in the Lightning's division as one that's pretty interesting to look at because, there's a nice drop-off from Vassy to everyone else. And every team has a guy I think they'd like to be the number one. But for whatever reason, it either hasn't worked out or they have their backup playing pretty well uh, in addition to what they're getting from their quote-unquote starter. And I feel like Columbus is a really interesting team because we have seen their goaltenders this year. And Merzlikens, I think for the most part, has been pretty good against the Lightning, but they've got two goaltenders who might be able to start in this league, and you just wonder, as we get closer to the trade deadline, is that something that Columbus looks to do to try and get better, not only for this year, but also for the next couple of years, because we do know that goaltending position is a prized commodity. Well, it may not just be the goaltending, Greg, I mean, David Savard, we talked about Joe's article with Aaron Portsline, his colleague at The Athletic. Last week, when the teams are getting ready to play, he may be on the move. Could Nick Foligno be on the move? Who knows? And they have some other veteran guys that may be attractive to teams that are looking to supplement the roster. Riley Nash actually might have been a guy who, according to the Columbus writers, could have been on the move, but yeah. but now that's on hold because he got hurt and he's going to be out four to six weeks. I don't know what to expect from Columbus tonight. I said on the show yesterday, I wondered if Columbus would lose some of its its fight, its will, based on the fact that they came off a road trip where they, they went one and five, and then you throw in an overtime loss in the game before that. So one, five, and one in the last uh, seven games that really is going to hurt your push for the playoffs that's that's to be sure but the Jackets actually feel that they've done a lot of good things the last three games starting with the game that they lost at Amelie Arena to the Lightning that was a game where they had a lot of good things going offensively they eclipsed 30 shots and they had a 2-1 lead late and they actually felt I guess they they played pretty well against the Panthers in in both those games they lost both I confess I didn't watch either game because the Lightning were also playing on Saturday and Sunday, but the Blue Jackets eclipsed 40 shots in the first game. They lost 5-2. There was an empty netter in there. And then the game on Sunday was one nothing going into the third, Florida. And I think Columbus felt that they had done a lot of good things in that game too. So I hear what you're saying. Like you kind of know where you are as a team at this point in a season, but if, if we had 82, we would just be approaching the halfway point and maybe Columbus would be looking at things a little differently. If they feel that their game is starting to, to look the way it needs to look. And that if they just keep playing this way, the results are going to follow. I don't know if, 
I feel comfortable saying that because they are giving up some goals, right? There's a reason why they're losing these games. But like we talk about the process is is just as important and often more important than the result because if the process is sound, the results will follow. It's really easy to say that or easier to say that when you have a huge cushion in the standings. When you're scrambling for points and your process, you feel good about it, but you're not getting results, at the end of the day, that's just not going to cut it. So what kind of Columbus team will we see tonight? Will we see a team that's continuing to, to press and, and believing that they've actually maybe deserved a little better than what they've gotten these last few games? Or have they reached a point where they realize that the path is just really narrow and it's hard to just keep pressing on the gas and not getting rewarded? We're going to find out tonight. Well, uh, in fairness, I, I felt the Blue Jackets actually played better in the game they lost against the Lightning at Amelie Arena last week on Thursday than they did in the game on Tuesday. They defended pretty well on Tuesday, but they didn't have much going. They had 21 shots, sure. and the last of those was an empty netter. The Lightning probably deserved a better fate themselves on Tuesday. Columbus played a lot better on Thursday. That was the game that the Blue Jackets lost, and and you know they followed that up with two more games where they, they were very active offensively based on their shot total and I guess their scoring chance total, but couldn't finish. And and as a result, they're they're, you know, coming into this game having lost their last three in regulation. I also wonder too, I think there is a an interesting line that organizations have to walk, Dave, when it comes to do we try and go for it and make the playoffs even if we're not a quote unquote Stanley Cup contender? Or do we look at this year and say, look, if we have some assets we need to trade Maybe we give it away to better our team in the future, but weaken our team in the present. And I'm wondering if that's a little bit different this year, understanding that even a home game or two in the playoffs and getting that gate revenue means more this year to certain franchises compared to others. And, you know, a team like Columbus, we talked about how many teams they have to leapfrog to get into that fourth spot. Because I think that's what we're talking about. I mean, yeah, they could go on a run and you know, maybe Carolina or Florida goes in a deep slump right. and, you know, something happens. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But And even know, more so this year, and I don't have the, the schedule matrix in front of me, but, you know, the teams that they are chasing are going to be playing each other. Correct. So that means that one of those teams is going to be getting two points. Like if, let's say, Chicago and Nashville play, one of those teams is getting two points. So the best that a team like Columbus can do if they're right. playing the same night is keep pace with one of those teams. And you've made this point, I think you made it yesterday too, is that we are going to start to see some separation here, I think. I think so. week or two, just because these teams are playing one another, which is very valid. But Dave, you understand the point about the importance, it's every year, gate revenue. But especially this year when teams aren't making as much money, how important is it, do you think, to get a couple of games even if you get swept in the first round and aren't a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, the flip side of that is, as you know, you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Tampa Bay understands that as well as anybody a couple years ago against these same Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm not saying that's going to happen. And I understand organizations have to, I think, also look long-term to where they are with regards to their team and their franchise. But I do wonder if there is extra importance to look at things and say, you know what? I don't know if we're necessarily going to sell off at the trade deadline because if we're still within striking distance of a playoff spot, I think getting a couple of home playoff games has more importance this year than down the road when we're in an 82-game schedule. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that factors in, but it, it's, it's a curious thing to look at. When we had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Aaron Portsline on last week, who covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic, we were referencing a couple of the articles that he had written, and I think it was the one that he collaborated on with Joe about a potential trade of David Savard, and he made the point in the article that it is very important if the Blue Jackets have a chance to get into the playoffs to get in the playoffs, even if the realistic hope of winning a Stanley Cup is yeah. is slim. Although, as you said, if you get in the playoffs, really anything can happen. We did see sure. that in the 2019 playoff series between the Blue Jackets 
And the Lightning and the Blue Jackets gave the Bruins a really good series in that next round, too. Sure. And they were up 2-1 in that series, Columbus was. But putting that aside, if if we are gonna if we are gonna go under the assumption that Columbus has a chance to make the playoffs, but internally they feel that if they get into the playoffs, it's probably not gonna be a deep run. That hypothetical question that you asked, is it better to kind of cut your losses and say we're just going to accept the fact that this isn't our year. We're going to trade some some assets to get prospects and picks to improve our standing down the road. Or do we say we want to get in the playoffs, even if it means it's going to be a short trip in the postseason. We're going to hang on to these pending UFAs, and they may leave at the end of the year. We're not going to get anything for them. So the, the second part of that, Aaron made it sound like that was that was significant to the Blue Jackets. Now, is that a financially motivated decision? It's unclear to me. I don't know how much revenue a team is going to get from a playoff series. Because remember, you're not only getting the revenue for a home playoff game, which is going to be presumably a, a fraction of what a normal attendance would be in the playoffs. You also have the added expense of, of covering your team's road games, which if they miss the playoffs, that expense would be zero, right? So I don't know the I don't know the financial balance sheets and how they're going to play out in the playoffs. Sure. It may be that it will be beneficial to to get in the playoffs and 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 certainly in terms of your brand, and maybe that's what Aaron was getting at. Just good for the organization to get in the playoffs, even if it means that it, it may be a shorter rather than longer run. And, and that's really what's what's important at the top of the priority list for the Blue Jackets and, and their management. We are expecting to hear from Joe Smith a little later on. Curtis McElhaney, according to uh, Joe's tweets, was on the ice for the skates. A good sign, he said, that um, whatever he had on Saturday, he's okay. Eric Chernak joined the skate at the end, so it looks like, uh, as Joe says, Dave will miss his seventh straight game, and that could be another opportunity to see Ben Thomas, somebody that uh, I yeah. think is pretty intriguing. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Thomas is back in tonight and, that, um, and get a chance to play against a different sort of team because yeah. Detroit and Columbus are not identical, right? Correct. So let's see how he does against a team that – Again, when the Blue Jackets are kind of on their game, they are a more heavy, physical, structured team maybe than Detroit, although Detroit played quite well in terms of their structure for, for most of the last two games, with the exception of that yeah. first period on Saturday. That was that was a very loose period by the Red Wings defensively. But you know what I mean? You got Felino, you got Jenner, you got some big, heavy, strong guys that can be a, a handful for defensemen to deal with, so... Thomas would get the opportunity to take on a different sort of team maybe than the one that he saw on Sunday. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, as we said, Joe Smith from The Athletic going to be joining us here once the, the players are done speaking to the media. And then we'll be taking your tweets as well at Bolts Radio. It's a game day. Lightning taking on the Blue Jackets. We'll take a break. We'll come back on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, Mac was on the ice today, or he's on the ice right now. Uh, Trini's on the ice right now. Trini's so, not playing tonight. You think uh, if Trinac would be able to play down this trip, do you think, or like how far away? I think? hope so. I surely hope so. It's a nine-day trip, so I'm hoping he's going to play on it. We all hope, right, Greg? I hope so. Yeah. Eric Chernak. This has been this has been a show like when the Lightning have one of those first periods, and then the next day when we're talking about on the show, we're like the Lightning were just out of sorts in that first period, weren't they? <laughs> Do you think John we got Cooper signals dropping for us? We got the signal dropping to our listeners. You had to step away for a minute. <laughs> Thank goodness Steve had that had that clip. To Do play you think from John this is Cooper. a situation where John Cooper would just make us go hard at the the next practice? We're scuffling today. We have you to know? scuffle our way through the next. 30 well, I think, minutes or I so. think the bottom line is we're back on the air, which is yes. the most important thing. Now, whether we make sense or not is I can't guarantee any of that. <laughs> that's, a daily, that's a daily challenge. That is a daily challenge. Um, but for those who are just joining us 
and obviously weren't able to hear it. By the way, I think that was the greatest radio you and I did, and nobody heard it in that previous segment. Because mm-hmm. How much did we lose, Steve? It might have been a good portion of it. But regardless, regardless, the, uh, the Ben Thomas stuff I think is interesting because um, you and I kind of touched on this yesterday when it came to not only his development, but where do the Lightning see him? And does this impact what they would do, Dave, at the trade deadline, assuming that they want to address their depth? Does one or two games at the NHL level before the deadline, because of Tampa Bay's cap situation, give Tampa Bay enough confidence that Ben Thomas can be a serviceable depth piece compared to, let's say, a normal year where You've got more cap flexibility, and you have a better idea of what you have um, behind a guy like a Shen and Borgman. And I think that, to me, is is an interesting question. Maybe the biggest one that they have to ask themselves, because if they feel like Thomas, assuming he plays tonight, and who knows if he will, but let's say he does, is that enough evaluation, period? Is that enough an opportunity to see what he has uh, in terms of uh, ability to make a trade or not make a trade uh, as you head into the playoffs. And I, I don't know the answer to that question. It probably isn't in fairness to the, the question, but this has been an unusual year and they just may have to go off of a couple of games from that standpoint. So look, any team that's that's looking to add a player at the deadline, sometimes you add a player because you really want a player. It's not necessarily that you feel that you have less depth at a certain position, so you're targeting that position. Sometimes it's a player that you just feel is too good to pass up, and usually those are the blockbuster type of deals. More often, though, it is a team kind of assessing its strengths and, and areas that it wants to get stronger in, Add a certain type of player. You think of how the Lightning targeted Coleman and Goodrow last year. It's not like they had not a, a good stable of forwards. They certainly did, but they wanted to add a different complexion maybe to their forward lineup. So I'm not going to say this in complete ignorance of the fact that that's a real thing. Like Teams look at where they are in terms of their depth, and it does affect deals that may be made or may not be made. But... I'm kind of thinking that if the Lightning are able to add a defenseman, and I know you've been talking a lot about a depth defenseman who shoots right-handed, if they can if they can make that deal, I almost feel that that it's a separate issue from how effective Thomas is moving forward here if he plays tonight and and moving forward up until the trade deadline and then after. And, and I think that for a couple of reasons. Remember last year in the bubble, you could only bring, what was it, up to 31 players? I think that's correct. And the Lightning actually only brought 29. They didn't even bring the, the full 31. So there were hard decisions to be made about, like, what is your, what is your depth going to look like? What, what depth pieces are you going to bring? And the Lightning did bring nine defensemen, and all nine played in the bubble. This year is different. Like, you can make, and, and the reason I'm saying it is, like, Ben Thomas, first of all, Syracuse is not having a playoff. The AHL is not having a playoff, to the best of my knowledge. So, everybody who is available that the Lightning will want to bring up from Syracuse at the end of that AHL season, they can they can keep as the quote-unquote black aces, right? So... Because there's no limit to the number of players that you can have after the trade deadline, as a matter of fact, you can have as big a roster as you want as long as you're cap compliant and then the cap goes away in the playoffs. You could have basically the entire Syracuse team here if you wanted as as black aces. That That isn't done because it's not really feasible to work those players in and, and, and give them work. And it's just it's just a lot to manage as you're trying to go through the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. But as it relates to Ben Thomas, like Ben Thomas, I would expect, will be with the Lightning as they start the playoffs, presumably as a black ace, whether they add a defenseman at the deadline or not. I think he has shown enough in terms of his whatever it is, 285 games in the AHL. He was one of the last players sent to Syracuse 
coming out of this shortened training camp this year, the fact that he's getting a crack, playing in the NHL, made his debut, he's going to be playing more. Whether the Lightning add a defenseman or not, I think Thomas is going to be part of this this playoff roster, whether he's actually in the lineup or not, because they have no restrictions on how many players you can have, and there's no cap complication. Correct. So you can have Ben Thomas here. The question becomes, do you do you still want to add another defenseman? And and what I'm saying is, in full acknowledgement of the fact that if you feel like we need to add depth on defense, you may target that that position and a player who fits that bill, but the deal may not be out there. Like you may not be able to negotiate to make a deal. Or you can negotiate to make a deal. But I'm not sure that Thomas's presence here affects that one way or the other. Because if you can add a player, why not add another player, right? You have Thomas and this new player that you brought in. Well, assuming- And if you can't add the player, it's not sure. because of Thomas. It's not because you said, well, our problems are solved now. No. You know, we, we've added these these guys. I don't think it's that either. I think you it's- You know what it was more- If day. you can make the deal, you make the deal. And if you can add the player, then you add another player I, to your depth. But it's good that Thomas is here, and, and I'm really pleased sure. that he had the opportunity to play on Sunday I and think, did so well. I think it's more to something you have said before, is that is Thomas just going to have to do for the reasons you gave, but also understanding how restricted they are with the cap and making a trade. In other words, let's be very clear. I, I think in order to get – and when I say a depth piece, there's some conversation out there. Is it a bottom-pairing defenseman, or is it more of a 7th or 8th guy? I think those two things are drastically different when it comes to what you would have to give up to get somebody like that. I think you get a 5th or 6th defenseman, you're talking about somebody who's going to be in your starting lineup. That probably requires a player off your roster. That's just my opinion. I, I, yeah, I, I just and that's, that's why I talked about, is there a deal to be made? Right, and so that that's why I told you, is this in many ways, is Ben Thomas just going to have to be good enough because of what you just said? I don't know if you're going to be able to go out and get that person that you want because, A, you don't have the cap to do it, and, B, to get that cap space, you're probably having to trade somebody who's starting right now. I, and I just don't know if they want to do yeah. that. And so I, I, think, I, think, I think where I'm coming down on this, Greg, the way you framed the question, it was almost like, will Thomas be able to show the Lightning enough based on how he played Sunday and moving forward in the next week, because the trade deadline yeah. is is next Monday, right? That they say, we're good. <laughs> We've seen enough from yeah. Thomas. We don't we don't even need to pursue the possibility of adding a player. Correct. I don't think I don't think that that's the way they are approaching this. And I don't know if that's well, that's kind of what no, you No, that's were, fair. I think that, that, that's what a you were where I was implying. Like he may he may play outstanding hockey. Between now and the deadline, how many times, however many times he gets in, but I don't think that's going to change the Lightning doing their due diligence to see if there is a deal that they can make, and that and that deal would have to work in terms of the dollars, and it would have to work in terms of who they are getting and what what they are having to send back, which is kind of what you were touching on. Yes, are you going to have to take somebody off your active roster? Well, if it's dollars out for dollars in, probably yeah. right, unless there's some magic that I'm not aware of uh, how you can how you can finagle that and then who is leaving this this team that you're acquiring the player from who do they want who are they willing to to accept in a trade and, and we don't know what the answer to that bad is players. but I think I think it's all positive yes yeah. the Greg Linnelli trade magic yeah. <laughs> take me- all of the players we don't want and give us everybody <laughs> that we want that's a fair trade. It, it but works I think well the Thomas situation is nothing but positive. Yeah. Because whether they can add another defenseman at the deadline or not, yeah. if Thomas does well, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. It adds to their depth whether they add another player at the deadline or they are unable to. Dave, do you think the right-handed defenseman has become a bit like the left-handed pitcher in baseball? The way teams covet them, and I know they like to go lefty, righty, lefty, yeah. righty on the back end. Well, it the feels- one difference is it's kind of hard to have a right-handed pitcher throw left-handed, right? Well, that is but, true. But you can have a left-handed defenseman play the right side. You can. So, so I think that there, it's not an exact comparison. But if you like having righties, 
and three righties and do. three lefties. Yeah, a lot of teams. Do. There are more lefty defensemen. Just yeah. like I think that they're for most teams, most teams have more left-handed shooting players than right-handed they do. shooting players. They do. Now, when I hold a hockey stick, I'm right-handed. It feels more comfortable for me to hold the hockey stick as a righty. But that may be a little bit of a US thing. And, you know, I played baseball growing up and I golf and I've always swung a bat and swung a golf club righty. Yeah. So it feels natural for me to hold a hockey stick as a righty because your your bottom hand is your power hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that's my right hand. But I think for a lot of Canadians, the top hand is your control hand. And look, if you if you have one hand on your stick, which hand is on the stick? Yeah. The top hand. Right. right. And, and I think a lot of right-handed people <laughs> learn to play hockey as as left-handed shooting players. If you see a lot of lefties who hold a hockey stick as a lefty, if they sign their autograph, they sign it right-handed. Braden Point shoots right, but if you ever watch him sign an autograph, he he signs with his left hand. Interesting. So that that goes to and Phil's the same way. Phil's right-handed and he he shot left because his 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 dominant hand he wanted at the top of the stick for control. And there is a way that you can generate power with your dominant hand at the top of the stick, mm-hmm. but that always felt unnatural to me. Yeah, <laughs> maybe did, because you me, know yeah. I grew up playing baseball and yeah. you know right-handed throwing baseball players typically not always but typically bat right-handed where. You know, your power hand is, is, you know, above or below for a hockey stick, you're, you're less dominant. I always, I always found that somewhat odd. I, I, because yeah. I, I'm like you, I play baseball, basketball, right. tennis, right-handed and I held But a that's why if there are more right-handed people in the world, which I think there are, yeah. if you translate that to hockey, it seems like there are more lefty shooting It does feel like that. In hockey. It yeah. does feel like that. Um, let's get to this question then maybe we'll take a break and we'll get to joe yeah is Alf, joe done with the media yet i steve think he is but we'll we'll check yeah we'll take All a break right. and get him on but al wants to know he said dave said rightfully so that sorelli has not been playing well lately I've uh, noticed... i'm gonna correct him okay go i ahead. did not say he was not playing well lately what i said was sorelli along with a number of other guys have not been as impactful in the offensive zone generating chances you mean you didn't you it's didn't come important... out and say he stinks well look is that al implying <laughs> <laughs> I, I will stand by what I said, but I did not say that he was not playing well. Okay. I think that that, and I was looking at the numbers today, getting getting ready for tonight's broadcast. There yeah. are a lot of guys with zeros sure. next to their their game by game in the goal department, going back five, six, seven games, and Sorelli is one of them. The second so part, Kalorn, he, so is Johnson. All of them it's, are. Yeah, they they all are. They're, it's it's unusual but, but to let, see. I didn't mean to interrupt. Maybe Al's point is related to. To what I said yesterday. Well, he said, I've noticed, and not only with Sorelli, guys seem to defer to Stamkos looking for him instead of taking what's available. I think Sorelli needs to be the main guy, like Tim with 37 and 17. And that would be related to, I'm presuming, playmaking in the offensive zone. Yes. Yeah, I mean, maybe there is something to that. Uh, I, but uh, here's the thing. Sorelli and Kalorn have played a lot with Stamkos in the past, and that and line has good. had success. So I... I Folks, if you haven't already listened to it, I think we did a pretty thorough job of spelling out what's going on for the Lightning in the offensive zone and and how they can correct it and how I think they will correct it. But I think a little bit is just getting dialed in and getting getting their game sharpened a little bit, details of the game in the offensive zone, and having the will to go to the front of the net and get pucks to the front of the net. But as you had said yesterday, Greg, very fixable. And I would expect that it will be fixed before too long. Good start tonight. Joe Smith from The Athletic is up next. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, we're back. Glad you're with us here. Staying uh, with us through some technical difficulties early on. That happens. We appreciate you hanging with us. Dave Michigan on that side. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Ersick is our producer. Tampa Bay getting set to take on Columbus tonight. And here to talk about that and so much more. A good friend from The Athletic. Let's welcome back to the program, Joe Smith. Joe, welcome, buddy. Appreciate you hopping on. And uh, we learn anything new here with the 
the Zoom call with the team and the coaches? Any lineup changes uh, happening tonight? Um, well, a little bit. It looks like McElhenney is okay after tweaking into something on Saturday. So he was back skating in the morning. I'm, I'm assuming or figuring that it might be Vasilevsky uh, in today. But um, and Trenek did join at the end of the skate, which means he's likely not being ready to go tonight. But like Cooper mentioned, he's hopeful we'll be able to play. It's a nine-day trip, and they have four games. So in theory, there'll be a chance to spot him in here. But he's missed seven straight. They definitely missed him. So um but yeah, no, I don't think there's any lineup changes. I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine after getting another look at Ben Thomas would be uh, good, I think, tonight after uh, he played so well in his debut on Sunday. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Thomas the last couple of days on this show. Joe, what did you think of that Sunday performance? I was impressed. I mean, I, it's his first NHL game kind of got thrown in there, and, you know, um, he played a steady game. He, he skated well. He moved the puck. He's light on his feet. He was... Um, obviously the coaches like what he saw, he played in 14 and a half minutes in his first game, which, um, is a lot considering it's his, his first one. He played more than Luke Shen did. And I think played more than Cal Foot did it in his debut too. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, he's just a great story. You know, a guy who's played 285 AHL games, kind of had the same hip surgery as Kucherov did a few years back, took him a couple of years to kind of feel like himself again. And, you know, most time you're a prospect after four or five years, you start wondering about, will I ever get a chance to come in and play? Um, but the coaches in Syracuse were really pleased with his perseverance and kind of his attitude and, and knowing that, you know, finally the timing was right for him to get his debut. And now he gets a chance maybe for a game or two to get a little another look. Joe, for the people who say Tampa Bay needs to address their depth on the back end heading into the playoffs, and I think that's a number of people, does that mean, in your opinion, a fifth, or sixth defenseman, or a seventh or eighth defenseman? Because depending on what you want, the return is going to be different, isn't it? It will be. And and like I said, I, I've been one of the people who have suggested that they could use some depth there. I know there's some salary cap gymnastics would have to happen. it have to be a dollar in, dollar out, and maybe some salary retainment. But, but yeah, I don't think they're going to be in the market for a top four defenseman at the deadline. You know, I, I think... The concern you'd have is is obviously Ruda being week to week. You know Trenek's coming back. Um, so you have a good core of your top guys there. But if his injury lingers longer, um, just knowing that they used nine defensemen in the playoffs last year, I'm, I'm thinking more of a 5-6 you know, kind of five six seven kind of guy um, thing for, the, the, for the, the blue line there. So, you know, I've always I kind of pitched a guy idea of David Savard. He could be play a little higher, but he's a UFA and could probably slot him in the third pair too. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be looking for a, a top four type D man. I don't think you'll be able to afford that. And not many of those guys are available, um, at the right price. So, but I, I still think that's something that they'll probably look into whether they can do it or not with the restraints that they have. Uh, I'm not sure. We had an interesting conversation on the other side of the break about Thomas's role and how it may or may not affect how the lightning approach getting a depth defenseman. And, and Greg kind of speculated if Thomas is really well, maybe that, that changes the dynamic. And I kind of feel like if there's a deal to be made, the Lightning will, will make the deal understanding that they, they have Thomas, right? So they either add another okay. guy, or if they can't, then Thomas has shown, and they hope he continues to show, that, uh, that he can be a guy they can, they can rely on. What do you think, though? Do you think that, that if Thomas continues to play well in the next few games leading up to the trade deadline, that that may affect the metric for the lighting in terms of, of trying to get a deal done? That's a good question. It's something that Cooper was asked this morning, actually, you know, whether you can look at younger guys, whether that's Colton or Thomas, can can give them a better feel. Like if, if you know, you can't get one at the deadline, good to know what you have. And he kind of made it sound like, you know, yes, getting a look at these guys is great, but it doesn't really affect, you know, what we do at the deadline and more so of like, if Julian finds someone to make us better, you know, we're going to try to do it. Um, so I think, I think there's examples we made for both. Like I thought, for example, Ross Colton's emergence, you know, and Stevens coming back makes me feel less likely that they'll need to go and get a guy for the fourth line center, like a Glenn Denning kind of thing. Like they had Paquette the last several years as a veteran guy in there. Um, but I'm not sure if one or two games of Ben Thomas is going to make them all of a sudden, if they had a deal in place or an idea of what they could do. Um, I don't think that might. I don't think that's not all that they sway they're thinking for. It'll make them feel better at themselves, knowing they'll have some depth there and knowing what will be needed going forward. But I think if there's something to be made here, they can make it. 
I think they'll try to do it, knowing that you know Ben Thomas has played one NHL game, and we know how the playoffs are so much different than the regular season, and you have guys like Foot will have to get you adjusted to that speed and that style and everything else too. So um, that would be my, my opinion on it. Joe Smith from The Athletic joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play, and I think that was uh, Dave's point when we were having that discussion, and it was a good one. Joe, I'm wondering too, though, it's hard to gauge what they're going to do, so I'll, I'll just ask you the question and, and kind of gauge where you are with this. Assuming there is a deal on the table to acquire whatever they want at the deadline to make them better, do you get the sense, are we talking about being willing to trade somebody? from the current roster to get that player? Or do you feel like this is going to involve more prospects and draft picks? Um, I guess my thought would be that it'd be mostly, you know, draft picks or pro- prospects. But I, I do think that if it is money in money out situation and you're not moving, let's say a Tyler Johnson, which I don't think it's reasonable to think that's going to happen in the next six days, you may have to move one of your depth guys, or if you have upgrade in defense, if you wanted to, if you needed to move like a, a Borgman, you know, to get the make the money work kind of thing to get a guy you can feel you can play in your top six um, or six, seven, five, six, seven. Um, but I don't think they're going to trade like a Matthew Joseph per se, you know, um, for example. Um, but, you know, that would just be my thought. I think I think they're open to anything. I see Roos talked to him a few weeks back. I'm like, you need these young players with the cap going the next couple of years you need these guys to step in your lineup like how comfortable do you feel trading you know young prospects and and obviously picks and he goes well it depends on what they ask for it depends if that's what the other team needs then we've shown we're willing to do that so um but yeah i think it'd be more so on that side of things whether it's a uh, picks or prospects and this might be a good, de- good time to trade your first round pick it's kind of unknown with the scouting world and the last a lot of guys haven't played this past year might not be as deep a draft as you might thought it'd be or at least franchise changing players and they won't get one at 32 or 31 so might be a good year to make that move for a draft pick to get somebody, even if it's only for a few months. Joe, the Lightning have 18 regular season games remaining before the playoffs begin. I know they haven't clinched a spot yet, but it seems to be on the horizon. What would be the priority list in your mind for the team as they get ready for the start of the playoffs in terms of honing their game? Yeah, I think with them, I think we've heard this a lot, is always about their puck management. I think they're at their best when they're possessing the puck and they're on their forecheck and doing that. And I think at times it's slipped this year where the management hasn't been there and where they've had so many rush attempts against. Uh, so I think for me, they have such a great season by Vasilevsky, maybe in mass, so maybe defensive issues or some breakdowns that um, he's unfortunate to clean up. So I think for me, going knowing you're going to go against Florida, knowing you're going against Carolina, um, speed with which they play and the chances that they'd be able to create against you, I think that'd be my number one concern. I think the offense is going to come. I think those guys are too talented. To, they're, you know, they'll get out of the slump. You'll have Nikita Kucherov coming back um, for the playoffs. So I think we'd be, for me, be more so kind of honing that defensive game, getting your blue line put together, knowing who can play with who, getting those guys healthy, and then and it just just kind of shoring up kind of your own situational play in your own zone, and obviously the puck management. Joe Smith joins us here on Power Lunch on Lighting Power Play. Joe, has Eric Chernak risen in terms of importance to this team with his play this year? You can almost make the argument that he's their second most valuable defenseman. Well, I mean, yeah, you doing all these projections with expansion draft protection lists, and I would definitely have him in my my three there. Um, so, I think you know Julian made it clear when they signed him, Sorelli, and Sergachev in the offseason that this is the next wave of the core, so to speak along with Braden Point. Um, so I think that kind of tells you how important he is. But, you know, you don't find right-shot defensemen that can play like he has, especially the past couple of years. He's really established himself. You know, winning the Cup did a lot for him confidence-wise. And he's really, you know, those guys are really hard to find, number one. Like, you, you, Dave, I think you've been around the Lightning a long time. How many years did he try to replace a Dan Boyle? You know, how many years did he try to replace another right-shot defenseman, you know? So I think having him is so valuable, knowing how good you're on the left side with Sergeyev and, and had been going forward. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think he, you, you make your argument um, that he either, and among the top three most important defensemen to have going forward. I know your focus is on the Lightning, but Columbus is the opponent tonight, and I know you're you're clued into what's going on on the other side. The Jackets have felt good about some of their performances recently, even though they have lost. 
They are still mathematically alive for sure, but they're in a tough spot. What do you expect the Lightning will see tonight and Thursday from the Blue Jackets in terms of the opposition push? Like how much how much fight is left in Columbus based on where they are in the standings and 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 the fact that they just lost five of six? Yeah, that's a good question because I think we thought. I mean, you talked to Portsline too. You had him on the show after that Detroit series. They lost both of them. I think you thought they were they were out, down and out, and then they played against the Lightning. I thought they played up some. They put up a good, pretty good fight against the Lightning in that two game series at home uh, last week. Um, and so I think they're an interesting place because you have some veterans who are in the you know the trade rumor mill. And you, you're on the on the edge of being a seller versus uh, sticking with it and giving it a chance to make the playoffs for this team. You have coach and maybe especially his last year with the team. So I would imagine that they're still going to have some pushback here. They're still not technically out of it yet. The, the fourth spot in the division is up for grabs. Now, who knows my, who will get it. Um, so, I mean, I don't think they're going to be laying down for these guys. I think there's a proud group led by Foligno. I think he's a really good captain. So I think, I think it'll be some pushback. I think it'll be more important or curious for me to see what the lightning uh, look like coming off uh, the last uh, stretch of hockey and see if they can get kind of their game back and, um, play the style that which they're playing, uh, knowing that they have a, a pretty tight spot up the, in the first, second, third in the division. I want to make sure they're up top there as opposed to getting that 2 3 matchup, I think. Well, and I think to that point, Joe Smith joining us here on Power Lunch, the fourth line for Tampa Bay, Joe, I think you can make the case, has been their best line over the last couple of weeks, especially with Ross Colton being part of that. And I guess. What do you think the lineup's going to look like when Kucherov does come back? If Colton continues to play this way, how can you sit him, Joe? I don't think you can. I mean, I know it's still a small sample size, and if this keeps up, and you know, Mitchell Stevens is, is doing rehab in, in Syracuse, and he was an effective player at the fourth line role um, when he was healthy. Um, that's I think the a lot of discussion has been about you know Tyler Johnson. I think because you look at all the different pieces that go together, the Gord line kind of fits the the top line. You know, Kutra's back, Kutra plot point, second line on Stamkos. You're not going to sit Stamkos, you're not going to sit Kalorn, not going to sit Sorelli. So, and then I, I would have a hard time finding myself sitting Matthew Joseph. Now, they play less minutes than, than Johnson does and that doesn't play in the power of play, but um, I think the coaches will always tell you these things work themselves out in the end. Who knows who'll, who'll be healthy at that point in the season? So it's hard to say this guy will be sitting and this guy won't be. But I do think that if it is kind of a meritocracy, as Coop always talks about, they'll be some interesting decisions of who gives us a better chance to win going forward from the team perspective. So um, but I do think that the fourth line has an identity now that it hasn't had for most of the season. And, and, and Colton wins a lot of face-offs and can obviously play that style with Maroon and, and uh, Joseph. So uh, I think he's earned a spot until someone, you know, outplays them or someone gets hurt and gets another chance. Last one for me, Joe. Uh, Greg has been – leading the charge in the Vasilevsky for league MVP uh, platform on our show for several weeks. And we've, we've asked a number of different people their opinion about it. Goalies don't often win the Hart Trophy. Some people feel that for a top team like the Lightning, it's kind of hard to single out one player as most valuable. Valuable. You do have a vote, though. So I'm just curious, when, when you think about putting names down for the Hart Trophy, what considerations go into it? Like, do you feel that goalies, because they have their own award, the Vesna, get get less consideration? Are you one of those people who feels that the the valuable part of it is is really the important word? And like, if you took this player off the team, where would the team be? Like, what do you think about the Hart Trophy and 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 how you think about which players you list as your five? No, it's a good question, and I I do think as an aside, I think there's a growing belief that McDavid would be hard to beat at this point if it's the point holes keep on going up and they continue to make the playoffs. But, but yeah, I, I think I think Vasilevsky absolutely has a case. I think I think he'll absolutely be if the season ended today, he'd definitely be on my my ballot there, um, top three or four. I haven't decided where it would be, but I think when it comes to most valuable player, number one has to be a playoff team in my mind. Number two, it has to be like that word means something to me too valuable to your team. If you take him off there. Um, where would you be? Um, I know Vasilevsky doesn't play as many games as McDavid or McKinnon or those guys would, which would be a, a shot against them. But um, I do think you have to put that overall value. Um, if a defenseman is the best player in the league and most valuable player to his team, 
I wouldn't just because there's a, a just because there's a Norris Trophy doesn't mean that I wouldn't put him in my top five. So um, I think the value is there. I know there's more metrics we have now than we did seven eight years ago in terms of goals saved above expectation, which I think Vasilevsky is 19.5 right now, uh, top in the league. So I, I think goalies don't win it often. They probably still won't, but I think there's definitely a case to be made to have. Someone who has a you have to have a fantastic or year for that to be the case, I think, because uh, most number one goalies are very valuable for the team. So, um, but I did have Hellebuck in there, my top five, because like last year, the year before, when he was so good. Um, so, just a case of point of having a, a goalie in there is not out of the question in my mind. Joe, last question for me 38 games in. Surprised at all when it comes to Tampa Bay's play? Are you. Uh, pleasantly surprised with uh, how things have played out so far this year, considering how hard it is sometimes to get going the following year after a Stanley Cup. And the second question I have is, when you take a look at Florida and Carolina, do you feel like those teams have narrowed the gap in terms of uh, talent between Tampa Bay and themselves? And do you really feel like what they do at the trade deadline is going to be pretty interesting as well? Well, number one, I, I am impressed with where Tampa is. I mean, if you did told me before the season without one of the top players in the world, Nikita Kucherov, that you'd be in this position. I know they're, they're a really talented team, but being in a position, coming off of a, a Stanley Cup, knowing the, the Cup hangover, knowing it would be hard to go from the biggest point in your life to be playing game 23 against Carolina for the eighth time that week. Um, a lot of the protocols, everything else like that, that they've actually stayed healthy relatively with the COVID situation, knowing all the parts of the league have been affected by that. I think all this put together has been really impressive. They're not a finished product yet. They're not playoff ready yet, but I think to be top two in the standings at this point in the season, all things considered, is really impressive to me. Um, and I think number two, I do think, you know, Carolina, I've always said it probably that if their goaltending like Morazic has played is up to, up to snuff, I think they're going to be a really, really tough out um, in the playoffs for the Lightning. I think the Lightning have more talent than anybody in the division. I mean, no one else has the best goal in the world, the best defenseman in the world, and arguably top three wing in the world um, on their roster. So I think that they have an edge and talent over the teams in their division. But I do think that if an off game or something doesn't go right or Vasilevsky isn't, you know, spectacular on his game, then I think that those teams can propose a, a challenge in the first round, which is why I think that it is important in this case to be the number one seed and, and play the first round against somebody else. And then let those two guys be up in each other and face them in the second round and knowing that that, we get you to the conference final. So um, overall, it's been a, I think it's been a really good year for the Lightning. There's been some hiccups along the way, like right now. But overall, you know, if you told anybody before the season, any Lightning fan, that they'd be number one, number two in the division, you know, almost 40 games in, they'd be pretty happy with it. I would agree. Joe, great stuff as always, bud. We'll continue to read your work at The Athletic and have you on the show throughout the season. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Sounds great, guys. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. That is Joe Smith from The Athletic. Dave, we're done. Got off to a rocky start with our technical issues, but we battled back. As yeah, a strong second and third period. Strong second and third periods. I think John Cooper would be pleased with our effort there. <laughs> yes. And uh, thanks to Steve Versnick as well for getting us back on the air. Broadcast tonight, we will begin at 6 o'clock with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios. I'll have the pregame at 6.30. And then Dave and Chief will have the call tonight. Brian Engblom and I will have the last call as well. So we've got a... Full slate of programming for you as the Lightning gets set to take on the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. Dave, great job as always. I'll talk to you in a few hours. Talk to you then. All right, thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. Thanks to Joe Smith. Thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Linnelli. It's been Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.